Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Great to see Yaram this morning, wasn't it? Great to see Sophie leading down Yaram. And if you're unaware, uh, we do have SBC Yaram and SBC Lock Sport, and they normally just watch what's happening here in the room. And so it was great this morning for us to be able to see a little bit um, of what's happening there and um, to continue to pray for them and encourage them. They meet on the first and the third Sundays of each month um, in uh, Yarram meet in a, the sale, sale the, not the sale, the Yarram Citizens Senior Sits Hall. What am I trying to say? And Locksport meet in the, the public hall, the community hall. It's got a few different names, but yeah. Uh, so they're doing a great job reaching their local communities and continue to pray for them. And if you're online, great to have you with us as well this morning. Uh, it's fantastic. We are in John's Gospel this morning. We're looking at the end of chapter 3, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment to pray um, for our brothers and sisters in Karambara. There's a Karambara Baptist Church have been dealing with a, a tragedy this week. Um, the senior pastor his wife, um, the wife's sister and husband have all been, um, had some terrible poisoning and three of them have passed away in the last week and yeah, they're, they're really having a, a rough time down there um, and it sort of all happened all at once and um, I just think it'd be great for us to pause and uh, pray and lift them up, that, that community, the families involved and, and all that's going on down there because um, it's, yeah, obviously a, a terrible terrible tragedy that's happened and um, so let's let's join together and let's pray Lord God in these times um, when we hear tragedies like this and people that we know God we we turn to you and uh, God we don't always know what to say and what to pray God but we know that you are the God of comfort you're the God of of the universe you're the God of the the big and the small and you hold everything in the palm of your hands. And um, God, for this community down in Karambara, uh, the families uh, and the, the questions and the pain and the confusion that's going on, God, we just pray that um, your spirit of peace and comfort might fall in that place in a real heavy way. Uh, God, that the leaders and the, the, the people that are helping care for people at the moment, God, would feel your presence and your, your peace and your comfort as the wider Baptist church gathers around this community and seeks to um, do all they can and lift up their prayers, God, I pray that you would give us peace and comfort as well. God, for, um, for Ian, who's sick in hospital at the moment, God, we pray for a miraculous healing in his body. Uh, and God, for just an incredible peace in his mind um, as he comes to terms with what's happening. And uh, God, yeah, we just, we don't know what else to say, God, apart from your spirit to, to be present in that place amongst that community, amongst the wider, wider town um, as well, and all the, the people involved, God. We just pray for, for your hand to be at work and your, your presence to be felt. And uh, God, we just lift them up to you and place them in your care. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's a bit of a... a um, not a great note to start on, but I think it's just important that we are praying for them and to continue to lift them up. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there's people that know different people and to, to get around each other and support each other as best you can in this time. 
Uh, like I said, we're going to jump into John's Gospel though this morning, and we're going to read from John chapter 3. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about Jesus and Nicodemus and the, the conversation that happened at night where Jesus um, meets Nicodemus, or Nicodemus rather, comes and meets Jesus and asks uh, about this eternal life. And of course, Jesus responds and says, you must be born again. And they had that sort of conversation. And then last week, we looked at uh, John unpacking or giving a bit of commentary on that interaction. Uh, and then this morning, we're going to look at another interaction and commentary um, of John the Baptist, who's not the author of John, just to confuse you. There's two Johns this morning, and I'll try to keep you up to date with which John I'm talking about at which time. But we've got John the Baptist, who's the character in the story, and John the Apostle, who's the author and the, gives the commentary of the story of John the Baptist. So maybe we'll call him John B. and no, I won't come up with nicknames because that'll confuse me even more. I'll just, I'll just try to keep it simple. Um, but so we've got, we got this, uh, this story and this commentary which we're going to look at at the end of John chapter 3. And so last week we talked about this idea that God is both a God of love and wrath. I got in trouble from my mum last week for saying wrath. Apparently it's wrath. I'm just a bit too... And I'm going to keep saying wrath because my mum said I shouldn't. And she's not here this morning, but she's watching a line. Hi, Mum. Hope you, she's had some surgery this week. Hope you're recovering. Uh, love you. Um, <clears throat> but we talked about how God is a God of love and wrath. And he's a God of wrath. He's a God of condemnation. He's a God of judgment because he loves. And we explore that idea. And if you miss it, you need to go back and, and watch that because I'm not going to explain it again. Um, but now we jump into another story um, where Jesus is sort of on a journey and he's heading towards Samaria and then... We're going to look at Jesus and Samaritan woman in the coming weeks, uh, and that's where it's, it's progressing to. But let's start in John 3, verses 22. Uh, we'll read to the end of uh, the chapter, verse 36. It says this, After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside and where he spent time with them and baptised. And John, the Baptist, was also... And just as a side, John, the author, never mentions his own name in the Gospel. So that's one way to help you understand... The only time he mentions himself is he'll mention himself as the, the disciple who Jesus loved. Um, it's a bit arrogant in that way. Um, but anyway, so that's just to help you understand when John's talking about himself or when he's talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was baptising in Anon near Salem and because there was plenty of water there, good place to go for it, people were coming and being baptised and since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And then the commentary from John, the author. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. 
For the one whom God sent speaks God's word, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So God, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you might make it clear to us what you're speaking to us about what you're encouraging us in and what you're challenging us on. And God, we pray that you might have, help us to have ears to hear your voice this morning and the faith to obey it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past um, few months, I've been dabbling here and there with um, AI technology. I just think it's very interesting and um, I've... You can, if, if you don't know what AI, artificial intelligence, and you can create all sorts of things, and I've used it to just um, make different images. Um, I made my own jumper and printed it, and anyway, it was fun. And, but it's just all this sort of um, technology. And this morning, uh, as I was preparing my message this week, I, I was trying to, I always try to come up with a, a, a bit of a structure and so that you can follow what I'm thinking about. And I've come up with three characters, a rabbi, a priest, and a witness. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a good joke. Uh, and so I was trying to get AI to come up with a joke, you know, tell me a joke about a rabbi, a priest, and a witness. And the best it could come up with was a rabbi, a priest, and it, it couldn't work out witness. It kept putting Jehovah's Witness. Um, a rabbi, a priest, and a Jehovah's Witness walk into a bar, and the bartender says, is this the beginning of a joke or some sort of support group? And that was the best one. I mean, they were all just terrible. But then I found another, I found another one, and it's, it's not the same characters, but I, I thought it was good. It's a priest, a pastor, and a rabbi walk into a bar and soon begin arguing at who's the best at what they do. And eventually they decide that in order to prove who's the best, they would all go alone into the woods and convert a bear to their respective religion. A few weeks later, they meet up at the par, and the priest announced, I found a bear by the river and started talking to him about the Lord. He liked it so much that he now comes to Mass every week. And the pastor says, well, I saw a bear in the clearing, and I started reading the Bible, and he loved it so much that he is now going to be baptised in about a week. And the priest and the pastor turn to look at the rabbi, who now has a broken arm, a fractured collarbone, and several cuts and bruises. And the rabbi says, you know what? Looking back, maybe I shouldn't have started with a circumcision. <laughs> So we're going to look at a rabbi, a priest, and a witness this morning, um, and the characters, and, and there I've put the rabbi representing Christian leaders, the priest representing Christians, and the witness is Christ, uh, and sort of look at these, this story and the commentary and what it teaches us about these three characters and how we fit into those characters' stories. So the first one being the rabbi, the Christian leaders, and this is represented by John the Baptist, uh, he's He's spoken to by his disciples as rabbi. And that's where we got that one, that title from. Very easy. Um, so in verses 22 and 23 and 24, after, Jesus, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Geotean countryside where they spent time with them and baptised. John was also baptising in the Aenon uh, near Salem because there was plenty of water, people were coming and being baptised, and since John had not yet been thrown into prison. So one of the things we see there... One of the first things we see the, the Christian leader doing, or the rabbi doing, or John the Baptist doing here, is this idea of baptism. Um, and that he was doing God's work. He was out in the, the countryside doing what Jesus had, through the Spirit, had commanded him to do. 
Uh, and at the same time, it says Jesus and his disciples were baptizing. And I think this is just like an interesting uh, observation that you've got this rabbi and then you've got Jesus and the disciples baptizing. And most commentators would say that Jesus was probably not doing baptiz- baptisms himself. You could just imagine that if Jesus was doing baptisms, maybe some of the stories we would have of like, well, I was baptized by Jesus. Like, Imagine the spiritual brownie points you would get if actually Jesus was the one that baptized you, the bragging rights. Um, but most people say it was probably his disciples doing the baptisms. And we see that through the Gospels that the disciples are going out and baptizing. Um, and it got me thinking about sometimes we think of Christian leaders as these like all put together um, well-educated model people and they're the ones that should be doing the baptisms and the serious communicating of God's word and, and all these sorts of things. And then on the, on the other side of the country of the countryside, you've got Jesus and his disciples doing the baptisms. And who are they? They're just like tax collectors, these young boys that probably don't have it all together, um, maybe aren't as model as what we would like them to be. But nonetheless, Jesus has empowered us all to have a ministry. And so when we look at that first one of rabbi, Christian leaders, you can go, well, this is not me. But I want you to see if you're a disciple of Jesus, it is you. You are a Christian leader in one way, shape or form. And Jesus has called you to be about his ministry. You know, in Matthew's gospel at the end, it says uh, Jesus gives this great commission, go into all the world, baptise people. And it wasn't, he didn't say, pastors, let me just pull you aside for a minute. All right, I want you to go and um, preach the gospel and make disciples and, and baptise people. Now he said it to, it's like the great commission that we all embrace as Christians, isn't it? Go, make disciples and baptise people. You know, and sometimes I think even just the idea of baptism uh, itself can become a thing that's it's important because of who does it, um, whereas the Bible teaches the complete opposite. It's not important because who does it, but rather it's important of who it represents. And baptism is not special because of who baptizes you, but rather of what it represents and who it represents, and that's Jesus. Um, baptism is a command in the New Testament for all believers. It's a symbol of your new life in Jesus. Hands up if you've been baptized before. A few of us, yeah. You're in a Baptist church, you're in good company. Um, it's one of the things that we, we believe as Baptist Church is, the, uh, is baptism. And it's a symbol of your new life in Jesus, death to the old and alive in the new, born again, if you like, um, sort of echoing what's been ta- um, talked about already with Jesus and Nicodemus. I always like to tell people when I'm doing baptism with them, it's like a wedding ring, uh, baptism. A wedding ring shows that I'm married, but it doesn't make me married. And baptism shows that you're a Christian, it shows you're a believer, but it doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a believer. It's a symbolic uh, declaration of your faith in Jesus. Anyway, so John, is the, the Christian leader, is baptising. He's doing the ministry. Um, and then he also talks about this idea of being the groom's friend. John says, I'm the groom's friend. I'm not the groom. But he celebrates the groom's arrival for the sake of the bride. And the bride represents God's people, the church. So the Christian leader is this kind of person. They're not about themselves, but they're about celebrating the work of Jesus amongst his people. Your Christian ministry, your, um, 
your obedience to, to serve and be a Christian minister is not about you getting more responsibility or being elevated to some sort of status, but about celebrating the work of Jesus in other people's lives. Um, Paul echoes this idea when he talks about Christian ministry and Christian leaders, where he says it's not important who God uses, but rather that God causes the growth. It's important to recognize that God is the, the miracle worker. He's the one who changes a person. He's the one who raises a dead person to life. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 7, it says, For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And I think this is how churches should be. They should be full of people that are Christian leaders who are not about themselves. And they should be full of Christians who are not about a person, a human person. Not about, well, I follow this pastor, I follow that person's teaching, or I, this person's the... This is the danger of some churches and some Christianity is that we follow man rather than Jesus. We are Christ-centered, not man-centered. And this is not just for leaders, but for all of us. Church is to be um, Jesus-centered, not to be man-centered, not even you-centered. It's not about what you can get. It's not about how much you like it. But it's about Jesus, about his glory. It's about what he is doing, his miracle work. And that's echoed in what John says, this like famous verse in this section where he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. As I've put these three together, I've, I've sort of imagined that they've put in this order of the Christian leaders, then the Christian, and then Christ, but that should be flipped on its head in terms of the importance. Christ is at the top, then the body, and then the Christian leaders. He must increase, I must decrease. A motto to live by. More of him, less of me. And not in a self-loathing way, but rather in a Christ-exalting way. By making someone or something bigger, the natural consequence is that something else appears smaller. If I blow up a balloon, the deflated balloons appear smaller by comparison. They're no longer equal in size, but smaller compared to the one that is inflated. If you like, blow your air into Jesus' greatness, not yours. You can't save anyone. Your work, your words, your ability, you can't cause the growth. Only he can. And so glorify Jesus. Make a lot of him. Just like you can't make the wind blow, but you can help others to be prepared to be affected by it. Remember Jesus and Nicodemus talking about the spirit blows wherever it wants. You can't control the wind. You can't control what the spirit of God does. But what you can do is make sure that you're postured so that you're ready to be affected by the wind. You're in an environment, you're in the situation where the wind is going to, and you're flexible enough that the wind is going to move you. So that's the Christian leader. And then the second group is the priest, if you like, the Christians. Now, there's no word priest in here. I've um, just done that just to... Uh, because when I was reading this, I, I saw that the, the disciples are there and there's this... There's this representation of the body of Christ, the group of Christians, the group of believers. And you know in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to, says, 9 to 10, it says this about Christians. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a part of this priesthood. You are a part of God's holy people in the light, in his marvelous light. And what do Christians do? Well, one of the things we see here is they argue, don't they? Uh, this is a good thing that we can learn about. Christians arguing. Does that ever happen? Too much. Um, an argument breaks out in verses 25 and 26. Uh, the dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. And so they came to him and said, Rabbi, the one you've testified about, Jesus, who was with you across the Jordan, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. Like, we're losing people. Like, our following's getting less and he's getting more, like... Maybe he's doing it wrong. Like, there must be something wrong with his theology. He's, it's too attractive. <laughs> Have you ever heard that amongst Christians, amongst churches? Like, oh, that church, they're just doing it wrong. I mean, I know they're big and I know they're growing, but oh, it's just, it's obviously not right. <laughs> As Christians, we should be building each other up. We should be praying for each other, edifying each other, celebrating what God is doing. You know, it's great. You know, I think over the last three years, I've heard about at least three new churches start in sale. It's fantastic what God is doing. Let's celebrate the work of God and say the more the merrier. It's great that Christians are gathering and Christians are trying to reach more people. Let's celebrate and pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But all too often, among the priesthood, among the believers, arguments break out. And often it comes from pride or insecurity, although none of us like to admit that because we want to be right about something. We want to be right about everything. Uh, We want to be... We want to be held in high esteem. Uh, and we see it through history, and we still see it today, that disputes among God's people regarding all sorts of things. And if we're not careful, these disputes can consume us and distract us from what is most important. We must be careful that the things we disagree on don't become the things we fixate on. Our attention, as John the Baptist points out here, needs to be on the one from heaven. Keep your eyes fixed on him. John replies, and he says, John, um, sorry, the author, gives a bit of commentary on this. He says, the one who comes from above is above all, and the one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who's from heaven is above all. When it comes to believers, we are all on the same playing field. There isn't a hierarchy of believers. There isn't like, well, that church is super spiritual, this one's less spiritual, that Christian's more... We're all equal in God's sight. We're all like sheep. I mean, there's so many times that where God says, it's just like flat. <laughs> we're all like sheep or we're all from earth or we're all children. Uh, when, the God, when the Bible speaks of God's people, there are different roles, but they are at the same level. There isn't male or female, Jew or Greek, rich or poor, slave or free. One in Christ. One level. And as we see ourselves as equals, I think it fuels our unity. It fuels our unity. When I see myself less or more than someone, it makes it more, in, more difficult to embrace unity. When I see my view is better or um, I put myself above someone else, it's harder to embrace that unity. And this is a very Baptist thing of John the Baptist and John the author here. Um, If I was to ask you, 
what does it mean to be a Baptist? You're in a Baptist church. I talk to a lot of people and they say, I don't know what it means to be Baptist. I'm not very Baptist. I mean, that's, that's a very common Baptist thing to say. I'm not very Baptist. Um, because, the, I mean, I thought it was just a good, good opportunity just to, to give you a little insight of what it means to be Baptist. Why, why are we different from, uh, say, an Anglican church or a Catholic church or a United church? They're in a different building, yeah, yeah. Not, not as good looking, obviously. Um, no, but you can look up all this stuff, but the, a Baptist is someone who uh, recognises the lordship of Jesus and the authority of scriptures. It's something that we hold to. Uh, it's a group of people who are a fellowship of believers or a company of committed disciples. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so there's this equality across not someone doesn't hear from God more clearly than somebody else. That there's the ministry of believers. There's different roles within the church. And then we also believe in baptism and church membership and this idea of faith and commitment to the church, to the body. We also believe in um, freedom of religion and freedom of faith, faith, that you are free to express your your faith in your, um, your religion. And autonomy is a big thing in Baptist churches as well. It's why our union is set up as, as the way it is, that we are completely autonomous from the next Baptist church to the next Baptist church. We don't get told what to do, but rather we work together as a union, but we're autonomous. And we also believe that about the believer as well. Anyway, there's some insights onto you. Whether you think that's right or wrong, that's what it means to be Baptist, and that's what we are. The third... The third group in our joke or in our structure is the witness. And this is the one I think is um, maybe hopefully the one you'll take away the most of. It says here in 30, verses 31 to 33, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who comes from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies, he being Jesus, testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony, the one who has accepted Jesus' testimony, is affirmed that God is true. What does it mean to be a witness? I mean, there's different kind of witnesses. I love listening to um, crime podcasts and, and, and different sort of things. And there's different kind of witnesses in different kind of court system. There's eyewitnesses. There's expert witnesses. There's character witnesses. But what does a witness bring to a, a criminal case or a court case? If you were having, if there was some sort of court case or some sort of criminal investigation, a witness would bring clarity and authority. Clarity and authority. A witness makes sense of a mystery. Without a witness, a mystery remains a mystery. And here, I think, is what John is talking about. That people love Jesus for what he can do. They love the idea that he is a miracle-working God. They love that he is loving and gracious and kind, that he gives hope. But they don't like that he speaks of God's wrath. They don't like that he speaks of the condemnation or the judgment, that there is some sort of in and out of the kingdom, that there is a surrender that required to the lordship of, his, of Christ. But he is a witness to the truth, to all of it, the good part, the, the parts we love and the uncomfortable parts. 
He makes sense of the mystery of your life. And if you accept his testimony, you have eternal life. But if you reject it, you miss it. He makes sense. He gives clarity. And he's also an authoritative truth teller. Um, I'm not into crime novels, or, but I, I love watching crime movies. Um, and they're always sort of set up in a similar way. Like there's a mystery and uh, it doesn't, you don't know who's committed the crime or um, who's done the wrong thing. And maybe there's five suspects and you're trying to think, oh, who could do it? And they've all got alibis. They've all got reasons why they couldn't do it. But you know that it did happen. Uh, who, who's, done the, who's done the bad thing? No one can tell. But then an eyewitness makes sense of the mystery and brings authority to the case. A witness gives evidence to what would otherwise wouldn't make sense out of something that we already know. So we know that this outcome has already happened. We don't know how it's happened. It doesn't make sense to us, but we know that it did happen. A witness brings clarity and makes sense of it. I don't know if you... When I was a bit younger, um, I remember sitting in the back seat of my parents' car. We used to live in Melbourne. And to get around, you didn't whip out your phone, you whipped out the Melways. And I remember... I was pretty good at reading a map. Um, you'd, you'd have the Melways out, and does anyone know what a Melways is? Some of us do, of course. Some of you are a little bit older than me. Not many of you. Uh, and you have the Melways out, but also while you had the Melways out, if it was peak traffic, what else did you have going on? The radio, because the radio would have traffic updates. It doesn't happen in sale because traffic update, all right, uh, York Street, the lights are red. <laughs> Oh, now they're green. Uh, I mean, there's no traffic to worry about. Uh, but in Melbourne, there's traffic and the, there'd be a helicopter up above the roads at, you know, in the afternoon and first thing in the morning and they'd be beaming down messages to the radio station to say, all right, there's been a, cra- a crash on the Monash, make sure you take this exit, avoid this crash and go that way. And what was your option? Is it, I mean, this is me as a, a kid remembering these, these stories, but what was the option? The option was, well, looks pretty clear. We could risk it. We could, we could take a punt and hope that the crash has been cleared up and that the helicopters somehow got it wrong. Uh, they've misseen what uh, is actually going on. Or you take uh, the one who's from above, you take their word for it. I see that they can see something we don't. Even though it looks kind of clear to us at the moment, there's something happening down the road that I can't see, and so I'm going to trust and go the other way. And I think this witness is, is like that. Jesus is from above and we are from below. He can see something that we don't. And even when it sort of looks clear to us, like if I keep going down this road, if I keep living this way, it's okay. It looks so fine. I can't understand why it wouldn't work out. I can't understand why Jesus would want me to have this sort of lifestyle, this sort of choice in my life. I can just keep heading down this road. But Jesus is from above and he can see something you can't. If you keep going down this road, you won't get to the destination you desire because there's a roadblock, there's something in the way. Jesus can see what we can't. He is from above, we are from below. And he warns us and he says things. He says things about our lifestyle that need readjusting, that need a different route. And you can see that all through the Gospels. He's giving sort of different instructions and different sort of lifestyle choices in terms of our money, in terms of sex, and in terms of power, in terms of so many different things. To be more generous, to not love money, but to get rid of it, to try to give more of it away. 
in terms of sex, in terms of keeping it inside of marriage and keep making a safe place for it, in terms of power to elevate those that are less powerful, in terms of truth-telling and not lying, in terms of so many different parts of our character and our lifestyle, Jesus says something about. And he says, even though you might not fully understand it, fully appreciate it, I can see something you don't. And we talked a bit about that last week with the condemnation that God's wrath or his rules or his judgment, whatever you like to call that, are not there because he hates us or is angry with us, but rather because he loves us. Rather because he loves us. In so many other ways too, he sees something that we don't. He says, I know you can see a little bit down the road and it looks okay to you, but I can see something that you don't see. Take my road, trust me. But what does John say? John says, people didn't like that testimony. They didn't accept it. And we live in a very similar culture, a very similar time where people hear that testimony and they go, I don't like that. I like parts of it, but I don't really want to embrace the whole thing. But it's a true testimony. It's an authoritative truth. A witness doesn't just bring about clarity, but authority. He sees that we're all in need, and he sees that those who believe in him, and he credits eternal life to them, saving them from the inevitable outcome for their sin, and he declares that you and I are saved. How this happens is a mystery, but the witness who sees with clarity, brings about authority to, court, to the case regarding your salvation. What you can't see and what doesn't always make sense to you is clear to the one who is from above. A witness brings authority to what is felt. You may feel someone is guilty or, or, or a, um, in a court case, for example, if we go back to this idea of a court case, someone might have like, I've got a hunch this person's guilty. I can see it in their eyes. But I mean, that's, no, that's not enough to get a conviction in a, in a court case, is it? A hunch? Uh, or seeing it in your eyes? Or just a feeling in your gut? No, a witness brings authority to, what is, uh, to, to that feeling, either confirming it or sometimes rejecting it. Doing both. You can have a hunch, oh, I thought this is right, and then an eyewitness says, well, and it's not what actually happened. I mean, it happens with my kids all the time. One will come in crying, the other one will come in telling a story. It's like, oh, you've got to make sense of the mystery. And then you've got to trust which testimony is the right one. It's the true one. Who actually saw it? And then maybe the other child came in and said, I actually saw what happened. They're impartial. This is what happened. And your feeling was right or wrong. Sometimes when it comes to our salvation, our feelings aren't always true. I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Like, I don't feel very Christian at the moment. I don't feel very saved. I'm not so, I don't feel like secure in what Jesus has done for me. Thank God that your feelings aren't the witness. They aren't the truth. They aren't the authority. Your feeling of being saved is not what uh, decides whether you are, but rather the witness of Jesus. And sometimes in your, in your bad moments, in your, in your shortcomings, you'll feel like, oh, I don't feel loved. I don't feel accepted. But Jesus comes as the authoritative witness and says, I love you. I accept you. You're forgiven. There's grace. And even in your good moments, he affirms that and confirms that you are saved. You are in his family, in his flock. We all on earth have such a limited ability to see. And so it makes sense to trust the one who can. It makes sense to trust the one who's from above. It doesn't make sense to promote someone from below in place of that ultimate authority. 
It doesn't make sense to put your own life in that place of ultimate authority. But it does make sense to place your life in the care and the love from someone from above who can see what you can't. And so as we close and the team comes up and we pray, I want to just remind you and encourage you to understand who you are and who he is and live accordingly. That he is from above, you are from below. That you are from earth, but given perspective from above. It's not like he's, he sees it and then doesn't say what he sees. He, he sees it and then he communicates it to us. Through Jesus and through his word, we have a limited witness from above to make sense of the mystery, even though we can't fully see what he sees. I want to encourage you to trust Jesus with your lifestyle and your life, to trust Jesus while you're here on earth, to trust Jesus that he wants to use you, that he's not looking for the perfect person, he's just looking for the ready person. You know, it's one of our values, ready as we are. He wants to use you as you are. And so God, as we come to the end of this time together, we just pray that you would help us to embrace your truth, your witness, your testimony of our life and our world. God, when it makes sense to us and when it doesn't make sense to us, when we feel it and when we don't feel it, God, I just pray that you would help us to trust you completely. To not get distracted by the things that are going on around us, but rather keep our attention fixed on you. To increase your rule to increase your greatness in our life and to decrease ourselves. You must increase, we must decrease. And God, that's our prayer as a church, as your people this morning. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. We pray that you would encourage us as we continue to worship you and and seek you. God, for those here this morning that feel like They're not loved by you. They're not accepted by you. God, I pray your spirit would would just refresh them this morning with a real sense of your grace and your love for them and your forgiveness in their life, that they could trust you. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in this place and we thank you for your spirit at work. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.